in death. There are no accidents, no coincidences, no mishaps, and no escapes. What you have to realize is that we're all just a mouse that a cat has by the tail. Every single move we make, from the mundane to the monumental, the red light that we stop at or run, the people we have sex with or walk with us, the airplanes that we ride or walk out of. It's all part of death's sadistic design leading to the grave. Because in the end, no one can escape death. And today may be your day to die. Welcome to Now Playing's Final Destination Retrospective Series. Every survivor dies in the precise order they're meant to die in the accident. So now does that mean we all die? In anticipation of the release of Final Destination 5, join Arnie, Brock, and Jacob each week as they watch and review another film in the Final Destination series. Great. I'm glad I canceled my golf game for this. Good. This podcast will contain spoilers and harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. Hope you have fun. Today we're talking about Final Destination 5, starring Nicholas D'Agosto, Emma Bell, Miles Fisher, Arlen Escarpeta, David Kochner, and Tony Todd. Directed by Stephen Quayle. This is Brock, co-host of Now Playing. This is Jacob. This is Arnie, and pardon me if I cover my eyes for most of this conversation. <laughs> you popped in my head instantly when I saw that scene starting. I'm like, oh, Arnie's not going to like this. Long time now playing listeners should know I have a thing with eyeballs. And <laughs> if we ever get a Superman retrospective, it will all become very clear. But, oh, God, eyeballs. Ew. I'm just going to say straight out, if there's a pretty girl or a pretty boy that you want to get closer to, Take them on a date to this movie, because they will be grabbing onto you, burying their head into your chest the entire film. And I just want to say to Brock, I know Brock's known for wearing a hat, but dude, bald is the new black. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. I think I will, from now on, just have it emblazoned on myself in some sort of fashion, maybe a pin or a t-shirt. Perhaps I should get you a hat that says it. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. That's like ironic. Well, we are here for the final episode of our retrospective series, for now. Who knows if they're going to have a sixth one, but... Have you seen the box offices? We may have picked the perfect time. This could be the final destination. All right, then. Lowest attendance of any final destination opening ever, including the first one, which is usually the weakest of a series. But third highest box office, thanks to 3D... Yes, right. 3D ticket prices, but yeah. I'm sure this is falling way below expectations. So I'm really happy we hit it when we did. Cool beans. All right. So what we do typically when we see weekend of release movies, and the final thing, we talk about our theater going experience. You know, I went to a different movie theater this time. I went on a Saturday afternoon about 4 p.m. This was a very high end area. This is where the Kardashians live and a lot of movie stars. So the movie theater is very nice. And there was three of us in the theater. That's it. <laughs> that is it. First time I've ever been to this theater. So I don't know if that's normal attendance, but I can't believe it is because they're still in business. Arnie, what about you? Well, I happen to be in Chicago for Wizard World convention that weekend, and it turned out that Final Destination was playing on IMAX. 
So I went and saw it on IMAX 3D in a mostly empty theater. But I just gotta say, who the fuck brings a four-year-old to this movie? Jesus Christ, people. (laughs) I'm sure the producers were happy. Unless four-year-olds get in free, they needed the box office money. Yeah, true. (laughs) I saw it in the new theater for myself, too. I saw it in a very smallish theater, and I'd say about 40 people were there. So I guess we should start off with a plot summary and get right rolling. By day, Sam is a corporate drone, but by night he is a chef working to become a master chef and has been offered an apprenticeship in Paris. But unwilling to leave his girlfriend Molly, Sam is hesitant. But things change for Sam one day as he and Molly are on their way to a corporate retreat. During the bus ride, Sam has a vision of a suspension bridge collapsing, killing several of his co-workers and himself. Coming out of the vision, Sam warns the others on the bus, and due to his panic, several of his co-workers survive the bridge collapse, which, of course, does happen. And if you've been following this series with us, you know, death has a design, each of <laughs> Sam's co-workers have to die, some strange accidents, same order <laughs> as Sam's vision. And they all start to think they're doomed, and then, hey, Bloodsworth is back. Tony Todd, we hadn't seen him since two, hadn't heard him since three, and he has a new rule to throw into the mix. Death doesn't have so much of a design as, like, a ledger. (laughs) Gotta keep the books balanced. And so, according to Bloodsworth, if someone escapes death due to a vision, death will come back unless one of the saved kills somebody else. If you kill somebody else, then death will be satisfied and the murderer will be given their victims remaining days on Earth. Give you a minute to let that one sink in. This is tested when in a factory accident, Sam's friend Nathan is in mortal peril and in saving himself, the factory union leader is killed instead. And when death then moves on to the next person in Sam's vision, manager Dennis, played by David Kochner, Nathan seems saved. And due to this, Sam's best friend and manager Peter has decided now he needs to kill someone to save himself. And he settles on Molly, who lived in Sam's vision. In trying to kill Molly, Peter ends up killing FBI agent Block, who was investigating the bridge collapse. So Peter has Block's life, but still tries to kill Molly because Molly witnessed Peter killing a federal agent. And in a fight in his kitchen, Sam kills Peter and thus theorizes that he now has Block's remaining days. And with his new life, Sam accepts the apprenticeship in Paris and asks Molly to go with him. And as they board the plane, we realize that, bum bum bum, they're on flight 180. We've been watching a period piece from Y2K. It's March of 2000, and who's that on the plane? It's Alex and Carter fighting after Alex has his vision. Go back to our Final Destination 1 podcast if you don't know who I'm talking about. And Sam overhears the stewardess saying that Alex had a vision and that the plane's gonna crash. And sure enough, Flight 180's engine explodes, and Molly is the girl that we saw hanging out the hole in the side of the plane back in Part 1 before she sucked out, and in the plane explosion, Sam's killed as well. And then, for a final punchline, we see Soul Survivor Nathan at a bar mourning the death of the foreman, when he's told by a co-worker that the foreman had a brain hemorrhage that would have killed him in a couple days anyway. And as soon as he finds this out, crashing through the roof is the landing gear of Flight 180, killing Nathan as well as credits roll. So quite a bit in this that kind of changes up our Final Destination mythology. Yes, this is really a final predestination (laughs) film. It it ends up being a prequel. It is. 
making me wonder, did we need a prequel to Final Destination? That was the first question is, did we need it to be a prequel? Did we need to know the Anakin Skywalker tales of Flight 180? <laughs> well, this was something I was interested in going into the film was, how are they going to follow up the Final Destination where it was revealed that death is just fucking with you anyways. It's giving you visions to kill you. <laughs> what are you going to do with that? So a prequel might not be a bad way to go. It, it answered a lot of concerns that I had at the beginning of this film before I figured out where it was going. When did you figure out where it was going? When Sam first started mentioning that he wanted to go to Paris, that there was this internship to be a chef, even though he was a paper salesman. I felt this was influenced by The Office at taking place in a paper company. It <laughs> yeah. seemed kind of an odd choice, but anyways. And you also have David Kochner, who's in The Office. So as soon as they started dropping this Paris stuff, like things started going off in my head. I'm like, oh, I actually thought Sam and Molly were going to be somehow related to the punchline ending in Paris, where the, the car accident happened and then sign falls. But that's when I really started figuring out, okay, this is where this film is going. It's going to tie into the first one and the whole Paris thing. As soon as they started talking about Paris, I knew this was taking place before the first film. As for me, I got to say, what really got me thinking about it was the opening credits because the opening credits kind of took from part four, The Final Destination, where it's 3D graphics that represent kills and kills from the entire series. And you know, we've talked on all these podcasts where we see either the kills of that movie foreshadowed in the opening credits or in the case of part four, we saw kind of a greatest hits. And so as we're seeing these kills in the opening, we're seeing a knife block. We're seeing a microwave. And having just seen all these movies very recently, I'm placing exactly which kills they are. But then I see a couple of things like a kettle. And so I'm really wondering, are we going to see some repeat deaths? Are we going to see somebody else killed by a microwave? And the final thing it shows us in the opening credits is an airplane. I'm thinking, well, now it has to be a callback. Or is it? Are we going to have another plane crash? And immediately from the opening credits, I started thinking, why did they show us that plane as the last one? And then 30 seconds later, he's talking about going to Paris. We just saw a plane going to Paris. And I'm like, okay, this has got to be a bit of a prequel. And my assumptions were pretty much confirmed by the time the bus had left for the retreat. And this is all within like the first five minutes, right? Yeah. yeah, we're talking the first five minutes. When Molly first drives up in her car, she's playing an Everclear song, I Will Buy You a New Life, which is kind of appropriate for this movie as far as the title goes, but it's not a song you hear referenced too often. It's from the 90s. I have it on my iPod, so I could place it, you know, and if this were named that tune, I could place it in eight notes. So I'm like, I know that song, and I'm a bit of a cell phone geek, and so I noticed everybody had razors. Nobody had, like, iPhones. I noticed that, too. <laughs> Again, Arnie, we brought this up with Saw, like how in that final Saw movie, the cell phones really stuck out, and then we realized, oh, this is all actually taking place, like, five years ago. So... Good on you, horror films, for sticking to cell phone continuity. <laughs> but I was with you, Jacob. I didn't know how it would tie in, and I was really thinking it might tie into that sign as well. But I knew that we were watching a period piece within five minutes of it, and that Flight 180 was going to come back into it. Well, um, I'm going to call myself out on this because I'm kind of embarrassed by it. Um, oh, Brock. 
I know. I have down in my notes that he ends up in Paris at the end, but it didn't occur to me that we're watching a prequel until Alex gets pulled out of the plane. And then I start thinking about the movie, and I'm like, they did drop a lot of clues, didn't they? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm calling myself out on it, guys. I guess they had Alex being pulled out of the plane for the surprise ending, and perhaps the producers thought that a lot of people would be like me, but they did give clues along the way for everybody. I just wasn't in the mindset there, guys. So yes, I'm calling myself out. I did not get it. But on the other hand, I really, really, really enjoyed when Alex was being pulled out of the plane when it dawned on me then. I had a great, oh, that's great. What a great way to end the movie kind of epiphany kind of thing. I don't know if you guys noticed this either with Olivia, who probably had the most cringeworthy death for Arnie. We'll get to that. But when she's in the paper office and they're all talking, she knocks a picture of herself down. And when she picks it up, you know, the glass is broken over her face. And I'm pretty sure it said the name of that roller coaster from part three. It looked like it was the same theme park, Hell's Ride or Devil's Ride, something like that. So I really thought, oh, maybe they're going to start tying in all these movies because I thought that was interesting, alluding to the third film and having her death foretold with that picture with the glass breaking over it. I was looking for little clues like that. There's not a whole lot of them. And this really just really ties into that first film. But I thought that was kind of neat, too. I do like the references, and I like that the series was starting to feel almost like an anthology, right? Where people just have visions, and it's the same setup, but not a whole lot of ties between them, and not even a whole lot of continuity in the mythology, which this film doesn't really hold to as well as we're going to get into. (laughs) But I was happy to see these callbacks, and I was really glad, specifically for this podcast, that I got it as early as I did, because I think this is one of those movies that it wants to think of itself on the level of Fight Club and the usual suspects that you're going to go back to it and watch it again and catch all the clues that you didn't get before. So I got them all the first time. I don't have to go back and see it again and we can talk about it here. If this had been Fight Club, I probably would have had to see it a second time before we recorded. You know, Arnie, you said Everclear kind of tipped you off, which I found very interesting because we've used older songs throughout the entire series, right? They used the John Denver and they used Why Can't We Be Friends. So it's really kind of interesting that tipped you off. But this wasn't being used in that way. I mean, they actually do bring back the whole John Denver thing here before some deaths. It's not even consistent. They play Dust in the Wind. By Kansas, and I immediately went to Wikipedia to see, okay, how did the members of Kansas die? No, they're all still alive, which was a letdown. <laughs> Sorry, Kansas. I just wish you were dead for the sake of making this movie a little bit more fun. Nothing personal. Well, they said it was high winds that caused the bridge to collapse. Maybe they should have played some Sugar Land. Bridge over troubled water. Yeah, there's... Yeah. <laughs> I actually had a look up with Dustin. Like, I had no idea what that song was. I thought there's a lot more iconic songs they could have picked out. Yeah, I don't know why they picked that one. It was the cheapest, probably. <laughs> You know, Bill and Ted taught me dust in the wind, so <laughs> I, I don't know how you can't know that. But but let's start getting into this, because the movie starts with this whole beginning of a corporate retreat. And I want to ask you guys, we've kind of, again, with this anthology, jumped all over, but the first and third movies focused very much on high school students, teenagers. The inception of this series was to be a new teen horror. New Line wanted teen horror. Number two kind of had people all ages. Number four, I couldn't ever really peg what age they were. They seemed to be living some kind of dorm life. They were young adults of some sort. Here, we're back at kind of older young adults, but certainly an adult world. A business place is the setting where all these people congregate. 
Did that work for you better or worse than the others? I actually wish there was more diversity. I mean, yes, these were all young adults in their early 20s, I guess, but maybe I'm just getting old. It felt like a very young cast besides David Kochner, the one old guy in the film, but they all looked young. You know, some of these people were even interns for this company, which means they're probably 18, 19. I would have liked to see more diversity. Uh, the things I liked about two was you had the cocaine addict and the cop and uh, the mom and the kid. Like, I, I like that diversity because... You mean having the blonde and the brunette and a black yes. person isn't diverse enough for you? <laughs> it's teen horror diversity, I suppose, but... And don't forget the bald guy for diversity. Sticking up for the bald yes. people. I'm sure you appreciated that, Brock. Yeah, I did. I did. I absolutely did. I didn't mind them being young adults. Actually, the intern, they said a line before her gymnastics meet that it's her last meet of her college career, so she was like 22 or so. It didn't bother me at all. They were so young. They did look very young, young. Nathan. Yeah, Nathan had just gotten his degree because that's why he became the manager of the plant. Right. So he must have been 22, 23. So I guess I'm just old. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but they did look young, but I kind of like that they were all sort of adults. So they didn't have a lot of the teen angst bullshit that other films had saddled with. It's kind of adults. But although the lead character certainly had a lot of problems making decisions. You know, in these Final Destination films, I'm willing to give them a lot because I know what I want to see in these films. So, you know, to have Sam being the paper salesman slash cook and Candace being the paper intern slash gymnast, like weird choices, but uh, (laughs) okay. I guess I'm willing to go with it because this is Final Destination and I know what level of film I'm watching. (laughs) That makes sense. I was more into the first scene, even though it was kind of dragging. I thought the acting was pretty poor by that lead actor. I was kind to give it as many chances as possible to get to the accident. Yeah, I thought they took a really long time to get there. They did, but they set up everything for us. I just was very patient this time because I guess the opening credit sequence, maybe. I don't know what it was, but I certainly was able to let the movie breathe a tiny bit before we got the accident. It did seem to take a while to get to that accident, but it seemed like we were getting just introduced to all the characters. In the movies, sometimes they have better and worse ways of introducing us to the characters. You know, in part two, we just get one shot of them. And in, you know, part three, we get long lingering videotape sequences. Here, it seemed that there was a lot of setup. I was giving the movie this setup, but I was interested to get to the bridge collapse, which I've been so focused on these other Final Destinations that I'd forgotten what the accident was in this one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'd seen the trailer for this, but I didn't remember the trailer when I was sitting there. So when I saw the bridge collapse, I'm like, oh, yeah, that was in the trailer. And when we get to the eye thing, oh, yeah, that was in the trailer. But <laughs> I didn't even know what the accident was. So I'm looking at everything. I'm like, there's a cookout, a salmonella outbreak. <laughs> <laughs> this person sneeze. It's going to be a common cold. I saw the trailer for Contagion or whatever that Matt Damon yes, film is before. Yeah. So maybe that's it. You know, it shows this video of what retreat's going to be like, and they have their red and blue bandanas. Maybe they're going to go, I, I don't know what Chucky film it was, but do the whole paint gun thing where someone actually puts ammunition in their paintball guns and they shoot each other. Child's Play 3. If, okay. If you donated last year, you'd know. <laughs> and you notice that was 180 Consulting that was giving the retreat, so... Oh, I didn't catch that. I did not catch the 180 reference there. 180 Corporate Consulters. Maybe it was because we were just coming off of Part 4, and I, I loved how brisk Part 4 was. It's like, here's your crowd shot, you get everyone's very flat, one-dimensional characterization right there, and boom, cars start crashing. Like this, they talk about their strawberry waffles, go get the guy out of the plant, they run in with the boss, uh, the tech guy goes and takes a shit in the bus while he's on the phone. He didn't ask anyone to go with him. 
<laughs> Very true. Maybe that, <laughs> see, as I talk about this, maybe that was supposed to be a callback to set us up. It makes more sense of that dual shit scene in the first one. By this point, I know what I want in a Final Destination movie, and I wanted to get there really fast. You know what gave it a little bit more time for me is we spent a lot of time with these initial characters. I think that I would have been getting impatient, but the appearance of David Kochner gave it a stay of execution for me. I like this actor. I have seen him in so much. and He always turns up in the most unexpected of places. He was in Snakes on a Plane, Anchorman, just always showing up in these things and... I find him an enjoyable performer. So his performance there as the boss who gets people's names wrong and is trying to play the hard ass. And gets him wrong on purpose. That's what I liked. He's just screwing yeah, with you. He despises you. He doesn't care about you. I, I agree, Arnie, because I guess I know him from The Office. So I expected him to bring that comedic touch, which made this first 10, 15 minutes palatable until we get to the accident. Yeah, because, you know, when we've looked at the past Final Destination films, two and four were kind of funny. And one and three were really serious. And as we were getting into this, I, I mean, I knew David Kogner was in this before it started. And so I was hoping for the funny Final Destination. But all the other actors were telling me, no, this is going to be one of the serious ones again. Yeah, but he certainly did bring his good humor to this. I think he played it perfectly. I think he knew what was going on here and played the part to the hill. It's a shame he didn't let anyone else in on his trick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about the bridge collapse. I thought it was overall pretty good. It was long, I thought, but I, I enjoyed how it went down. It didn't grab me immediately, but as it went on, it, it certainly did. Yeah, I think they were hoping to grab the magic from the tragedy at the beginning of part two, which I think we could all agree has been the best opening vision. Mm -hmm. uh, easily. Easily, easily by far. Mm -hmm. I think they were hoping for that, again, doing a car accident type thing. It was all right. What I did like is when they started getting to the deaths and the use of 3D. I, I like the 3D. I thought it was very effective in this opening scene. And I like the deaths. You have, uh, you know, Olivia fall into the ocean and it looks like she's all right. She survived the fall and the car lands on her. When the steel rods go through Peter's face. I mean, again, great 3D right there in my face. This is a gimmick film. I want the 3D to be a gimmick that's working. And then I love how he falls down and he doesn't hit the water. He hits the concrete barrier and you just see the splash of red. The tar mm -hmm. on David Kochner's character, Dennis, and the way his skin melts off as he falls down the bridge. I like when they got to the deaths, the actual mechanics of the cars and the bridge collapsing eh, wasn't my thing, but I liked the deaths that resulted from it. We've talked on previous podcasts how some of the accidents were based on real world events. Yeah, Minnesota bridge collapse. Yeah, and <laughs> I know all about that because I was actually on scheduled for a business trip in Minneapolis one week after that bridge collapsed. And of course, wow. you know, I didn't want to drive there. And we were all worried about backup. So I think it was based on this. And I looked it up and like 13 people were killed and 145 injured in that. So I think that we may be based on a real event. And I have to say that I also just got more and more into this. At first, I'm like, oh, the bridge is going to collapse. But I didn't expect it to be done as well as it was. They always blow their wad on this opening. They have since the first one. And there was some great effects going on here. I couldn't see the strings. I mean, I obviously knew there had to be strings, but I couldn't poke them out. <laughs> or blue screens, at least. Yeah. <laughs> Metaphorical strings. <laughs> when they jumped to the fence, when Peter and Sam jumped towards us in the 3D to get on that fence, and they're trying to save their own lives, it was almost they didn't even hesitate, especially Peter. He jumps to that fence, and it was really effective. So I really felt like the characters were getting more and more desperate. I thought it was kind of cool how when the ground started going out from them, and they came up with going across the balance beam, whatever, for example. That kind of thing really kept me in 
to what's going on. And then all of a sudden, Nathan gets swiped out of the way. You know, like, so they had a little bit of this, a little bit of that. They had a little bit of suspense, and then this pure carnage. So it was really kind of uh, well done that way, and that's what I mean by building. Because when it started off, the first death, not only did she fall off the bridge, but she got impaled by that sailboat. You know, that was a great way to start. If you had that later in the scene, I don't know if it would have worked as well. I thought that was a really effective way to let us know that we're getting into this right now. I liked it, but I still wasn't sure at this point if I was watching a serious or a funny Final Destination. Were mm-hmm. you watching four or three? That was the big <laughs> question for me, Arnie. Are we getting four or are we getting three here? And when she gets impaled, her intestines start flying all over. <laughs> and I'm like, okay... This is funny to me. (laughs) And Artie, I don't, again, if you remember when we did Saw 3D, it had a similar opening scene with the guts, the intestines all spilling out. And we really enjoyed that for the black humor because it was so over the top. And I was at the same place during this opening scene, especially with that sailboat impalement. Yeah, I was just loving all of this, all the various types of death. I was finding it fun. I'm not sure if I was supposed to, but certain touches like the intestines or like the woman falling in the water and living and then the car crashes on her. I was chuckling. I wasn't guffawing, but I was chuckling and having a good time and really impressed to see this level of detail in this bridge collapse because I just kind of expected it to kind of go boom in a big explosion. The way they have the segments of the suspension bridge fall one, then the other, then the other. It had suspense. (laughs) (laughs) i love puns yeah that's a good one i'm with you right there though later in the scene when they're all trying to get off and all of a sudden one by one the section the bridge just falls down that's what i'm talking about my mouth is like wow because it looked real it looked real when the thing finally gave way and then the suspensions were flying back and forth like swings it was a really good visual You know what else I liked that I don't think has ever really been done on any of the other Final Destinations is when we come out of the vision, Sam and them are still in danger. Sam's like, we have to get off, and they have to run from the collapsing bridge. I was surprised because they're right where the bus is when the bridge starts to collapse in the vision. I was thinking back by two, where they haven't even turned onto the freeway yet. I'm right there with you, and I was surprised that they're already that far. I thought he's going to stop the bus much further back. And they were still running off the bridge when the shit started to hit the fan. Mm-hmm. I think it was a really nice touch. Yeah, it was something different, and it was able to continue the excitement of the bridge crashing. It gave it a better denouement than, say, Flight 180, where after seeing that whole thing, all you see is boom out a window. And then we're introduced to a character that I absolutely hate this movie, Agent Block, who somehow thinks that because Molly tried to break up with Sam that morning... Right before getting on the bus, Sam somehow engineered the bridge collapse. Yeah, it made a lot more sense, like in part one, when the FBI and the police thought Alex might have been responsible for blowing up the plane, because, you know, blowing up planes was still a thing that happened. Uh, How do you engineer a bridge to collapse? It doesn't make sense. I'm willing to give it a buy because it's Final Destination, but yes, it's something that was stupid. Yeah, if it was a bomb, I could see it. If it was some human accident, I could see it. But yeah, to be able to somehow make a bridge collapse at that short time, when they come up and they say to the agent, oh, it's a mixture of high winds and the bridge was under construction. And the agent's like, piss, no, it has to be Sam. I'm still going to investigate. The way he said the line was, wind? And I, <laughs> I laughed out loud because I didn't get anything else off of him like, you got to be kidding me. But I didn't understand why he thought that was a motivation enough for someone to do something like that. It makes a lot more sense 
why the police were so concerned with Alex in the first one. They find the kid, you know, strangled. Okay, that could be done by another person. They find the teacher stabbed and burned and his footprints are there again. Okay, that makes sense. To cause an entire bridge to fall where there's construction <laughs> workers all over it, they probably notice if someone was, like, screwing around, it's far-fetched. Yeah. Agent Block, I don't know how you became an FBI agent. You gotta be pretty smart to get in the FBI. But, of course, death has a design or a ledger or something. <laughs> Let's talk about this first twist right now. We find out the course of this movie from Tony Todd, who's back and still not utilized correctly. He's introduced in a better way. He shows up at the deaths because he's the coroner. So instead of some random, we're going to break in or we're going to seek him out, he's in logical places for logical reasons. So that's an improvement over the previous ones. But he then says, if you kill someone, you get their life. We've never heard this before. This is the prequel, though, Arnie. In fact, in part two, he says only new life can thwart death's design, which is the exact opposite of only killing someone. And right there in the theater, I'm thinking all of this. How is this jiving? <laughs> this is the fifth one. It's not going with the other rules. I was pretty sure, though, that this was a prequel. And again, we get to the end of Final Destination 4, the Final Destination. And what's the punchline? Is that these visions are from death. Death is just screwing with you. He's like the kitty just knocking that mouse around <laughs> till it dies. It doesn't have a chance. And so at this point, Tony Todd, he's death. Like, can we agree to that, that he's not just the creepy coroner that he might have been in one, that this guy is death, and he's just going around having fun with people, screwing with them, making up whatever rules, you know? I'm going to make these kids a bunch of murderers, so I'm going to just tell them this rule. I want this girl to commit suicide, so I'm going to tell her this rule. Like, at this point, this is just death screwing with people, because I had seen that fourth film, and I saw that death was the one giving people visions. I didn't really like that answer, but this is how I fit it all together. I actually came up with the same retcon in my own head, Jacob, is that he's death, and he's just fucking with people. I would have liked the movie to come up with that, with Tony Todd just sitting back and watching the carnage occur i agree tony todd did say that i've seen this sort of thing before so it implies that this happens continually he also could be guys that since this is a prequel that his theories are changing because he's just spitballing here and so he i mean if you really want to go there it, it, that's an explanation that could work that every time the rules change because he's just trying to figure out himself but i like your explanation better <laughs> just saying that could be a reason this could, quote-unquote, fit in fine. Perhaps we would have found out, according to Tony Todd, if this film was a big success on opening, he was going to film two more simultaneously. Final Destinations 6 and 7 maybe would have explored the mythology, but... They've had five films, but they haven't done it by now. I, I don't know what they're waiting for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did like it, that he kept on showing up, and when they explained why, that was should have been a clue to me, of course, that it was a prequel because it's in the same town as the other ones, and it should have been dawning on me that they're making connections, etc. But again, didn't get it. But I did like that he showed up at everything, and I was like, oh, okay, this time they're having him show up more. That's great. And then he stopped showing up. <laughs> <laughs> he, he just is around long enough to explain, you got to kill somebody, and then he goes away forever. Thanks for the advice, creepy guy. Whatever we think of that rule, I kind of liked where this movie could have gone with it. In part three, which none of us recommended, they had that twist where the goth kid at the end decides he's going to be the one that kills the person that's supposed to die next. I liked that there could have been a good twist here where now these kids, because they outran death, now they're going to become murderers and they're going to try to take other people's lives. Like I liked where this could 
possibly have gone. And I've been saying that since part one, is that I thought Carter and Alex should have gone at it. So, yeah, I like the theory. I think that it's a good setup. It just maybe for a different series because it just doesn't fit with what's come before. But yeah, (laughs) before we find that out, we do have a couple of people who die. And the first one is Candace, the gymnast intern. We got our what could it possibly be kind of death. And they really toy with us here. They do, but in what way? I'm sitting here like she's doing gymnastics and there's a screw on the balance beam. And I'm like, okay, she's going to get tetanus? (laughs) (laughs) That was the threat in the first one with Alex. He's paranoid to get into tetanus. You almost got me. I kind of liked the suspense they were doing when she was on the balance beam and the screw was there. I thought she was going to hit the screw and then fall into the... The puddle of water with the electricity. Yeah. Yeah. Even if that screw wasn't going to kill her, I was cringing. Because that that would hurt. I've stepped on nails. That's not a pleasant feeling. Like, I was sitting there barely looking. It was fun how she was dancing around. She just missed it here and there. And they really played it up a lot. And I thought that was really a fun way to do it because I, too, was cringing at it. And then they pepper in the other elements of the scene. But the entire time when they keep going back to that, you keep thinking, is this going to be the time? Is this going to be the time? That's good suspense. That was fun. It was entertaining to watch her keep missing the screw. I saw water. I saw electricity. I saw fans come in. And first of all, what college is she going to that this is their gym? (laughs) Is it like community college in the recession? The air conditioner isn't working. Rats are chewing the power cables. I think a University of Phoenix degree would be better than this place. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but the gymnastics department sucks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you make a good point, Arnie. But after the screw, when they have her on the parallel bars with the hinge, it's exactly the same kind of tease. Yeah, they keep showing the hinge and like, is that going to break? For some reason, this one just wasn't clicking with me. I just wasn't too into it. I think they played it out too long and had too many red herrings. Too much was happening. And by the time the death occurred here... I was more than ready. Much like you guys were saying about the bridge collapse, I feel about this specific scene. Maybe it's because we've had to sit through four of their Final Destination films. I mean, we talk about Final Destination 2. I think the first death, the kid that wins the lottery and his entire apartment blows up and he gets out. And what does he do? He slips on the discarded Chinese food and the ladder goes through his face. I felt like this was in the tradition of those other deaths that we've seen in the films. I completely agree. I thought that it was also funny the first death they gave us this kind of death, the what's going to get her kind of death. And then what actually does get her and how she died, how gruesome it was, was awesome. I laughed out loud when she fell and her body was that mass of bones and blood. Oh, you know, I'm not a horror fan, but I like gore. (laughs) And so I'm right there. I love this death where she's like folded in half and bones sticking out and blood all over. the. It was nasty. I loved it. Wow. I can't believe it that I'm the one who's here not liking this. I I cannot (laughs) believe of the three of us. Hardy, <laughs> Hardy, your taste are getting too high. I, perhaps, but I just thought it was ridiculous. Arnie, have you watched the previous films we've been doing in this retrospective? Like, this is what's confusing me. <laughs> she has talcum powder flown in her face. She falls off the parallel bars. She folds in half, and her spine is torn out of her back. That's too much. And you know what? I would have gone with that so easily if this tone was Final Destination 4. 
if I felt we were in a comedy. But it played it up too long, tried the suspense too long, and then gave me a punchline. I was just confused and rolling my eyes. I liked the fact that we could see bones sticking out of her arms. That was gore that I appreciated. It was the spine that was the center of the frame that I'm like, just, I wasn't feeling this death. And it's a shame because I kind of liked what Ellen Rowe was doing with the character, but. Just the death left me cold. And her too. I with Jacob, but I loved it. And I thought her bones sticking out of her leg. I'm like, I guess everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Uh, didn't they have a twitch in there too, maybe? They did. She twitched. It reminded me of the hand in part three. Again, that was a nice little touch. So, Well, I, I can't wait to get to the next death then to see what me you thought. Me too. <laughs> this is Isaac. And all right, this death I love. I loved everything about this death. Now, Isaac, we haven't talked about him yet. I liked Isaac. You know, we had the guy, the pervert from part three, who I didn't like. Isaac plays it right here. I really like this character. He's goofy, hitting on all the women, getting their names wrong. Like, obviously not a player. Like, you look at this guy, and obviously these are women he's just meeting in chat rooms, and he's got a fake picture in his profile. I disagree. I think he actually is meeting the women because he's like, oh, yeah, I remember you. You're the really fat one, right? (laughs) So it's just his standards are low. Yeah, I thought that he was getting some play, but I loved how he thought he was Tom Cruise, or he thought he was the man. He thought he was so hot, but he wasn't. Also, I love that he's a spoof of, can you hear me now, guy? I thought that was great, because he's always on the cell phone, he looks like the guy. Oh, he does! I didn't even realize that that's what that was, but you are so right on with that. And it was really kind of fun for me that they were playing up this guy and that spoof. This death, too, I really, really, really enjoyed. And it's just so funny how he gets there because he steals from the dead people's desks who died on the bus. And one of the things he steals is a gift certificate for a massage parlor. And he goes in and he's like being this complete tool asking for a happy <laughs> ending and all that. Well, yeah, of course, it's a, a Chinese massage parlor. And, and we all know how those are. So I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> As... Un-PC as the scene was, it was funny, like, playing up to the whole happy ending stereotypes and that. Like, it fits the character, and he pulls it. I I was laughing. I was enjoying the build-up to this. And it it was obvious when he was getting the rub down and he was told to close his eyes. We all knew it was an old lady, right? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, of course, the hands in the close-ups were different than the hands at the faraway shot. I liked in this scene, too, he says something like, do you come with subtitles? And all of a sudden, the subtitles start popping up. Yeah, I love that. Like, now we're getting back into, like, Final Destination 4 territory here. Some good self-awareness going on. Yeah, and you see, this death takes a while to build up as well. We get quite a bit of time of him in this massage parlor. I mean, it reminded me to, Jacob, your complaints about the tanning bed in Part 3. But because of this actor's performance and the humor and the scene keeps going and he's getting, like, all of a sudden, the massage therapy is a chiropractor this is what worked for me regardless of it being tittyless in the sun <laughs> tanning scene they were just sitting there in the tanning booth the entire time kind of boring this one yeah he was getting twisted all over the place by this old lady doing the massage and then the acupuncture there's different things going on that's why it held my interest as opposed to people just sitting there while a condensation builds up on their coke can also they cut away so many times in three remember back and forth and back and forth so it also seemed longer they felt the need to put exposition in between they cut away here too because they cut back to the office a couple of times and we see them like having drinks we see dennis calling the fbi and colluding with block 
about mm. things. So that's why this scene may have felt long to me, too, is they were cutting back to the other cast members. You know, you're right. I didn't notice it. See, there's more going on here. Because, like, Brock, I didn't notice that. I obviously saw that on the screen, but it didn't seem like it was slowing things down for me. But I also agree that when they pull the acupuncture needles out, I thought that was great because acupuncture needles give me a little bit of the willies. And then to have it in 3D also really worked. The other thing is, for whatever reason, in addition to dust in the wind, which makes no sense, in this one, somebody always gets punctured before a death. There's always a paper cut or cut on attack or something. It starts before the vision. Sam somehow causes himself to bleed on a bus seat. In this case, it's the acupuncture. I felt like they did a lot of things in this movie to set up a death is coming that never had any payoff, such as the puncturing and the song. So he falls off the table, he falls on his face, on his chest where the needles were, and I, again, thought that was wonderfully grotesque. When he gets up and you see it kind of, and he has to pull one of them out of his chest. And the great thing was is how long it took him to pull that out. Like, it was painfully slow and you really got how long these needles were. That's why it wasn't just like a quick pull. It seemed like it just kept going, which just, again, just cringing there. They're, you know, grabbing my wife's knee, squeezing it tighter and tighter. It's just, ugh, it's painful. And that's what I like, that it's getting a reaction out of me. Agreed. Yeah, I'm really enjoying this as well. And I wasn't as freaked out by it as you guys were. In fact, I was really wondering if those needles could cause that level of damage. I wouldn't think so necessarily. But Arnie, why are you trying to bring realism into these movies all of a sudden? <laughs> <laughs> this is just confusing me at this point. Like, I'm just willing to like let it go. Like, I know this isn't realistic, but it's gory and it's getting a reaction out of me. So I'm not worried about it. That's what I want from a Final Destination film. To start this whole thing, a gust of wind comes in. Not because she closes the door, I didn't think. I don't, I don't understand where the gust of wind that came in started the whole thing going. It's death. Death always makes the wind just blow without a source. Right. <laughs> they need the wind to start this. He needs to die. Let's get going. And so, yeah, I have a note on where the wind come from, but then I have him right next to it. Ah, who cares? That's the testament to this movie, because I don't care. I'm enjoying what's going on, and I want to see what is going to happen now. What I did love about this death, though, is, I mean, he's got those needles coming, but he's still alive. The place is on fire. <laughs> Alcohol spills. The fire comes at him. You think he's going to burn? No, he's fine. But then Buddha, who he made fun of a couple fat jokes earlier, gets his revenge and mashes his head, and that had me laughing. I loved it. I saw, like, as soon as he backed into that wall, I'm like, oh, that's the shelf Buddha's on. Buddha's going to have his revenge. He may say he's all tranquil, but don't make fun of the guy's weight. I knew that was coming. He was going to get smashed by Buddha, and I love, like, just the watermelon head just splats all over the place. Yep. So then we get to Arnie's favorite scene in the movie. Arnie, I want <laughs> <laughs> I'm really disappointed, you know. Final Destination 3, we got a titty shot here. We got the slutty girl. He talks about she doesn't have baby fat. She has tits, and we don't get to see them. I wouldn't have mind. She looked good in fishnets and a miniskirt. Just a minor complaint. This character was all over the place, though. This is Olivia. She shows up to the company retreat in, like, this van and dressed like a slutty punk chick. Not complaining. Not complaining. I'm just saying, it's not exactly the work attire that people who I work with show up to work <laughs> in, the ladies I work with. Even if they change to then meet dress code, they don't show up looking that way. And then she has the glasses and she is compared to Lisa Loa because the glasses are ugly. And after this whole death thing, she decides to have LASIK surgery. And now she's clinging to a teddy bear and afraid of the LASIK. And I don't know who this girl is. I know she's hot. You're right, Jacob. She's hot. I really... Uh, Arnie, I'm with you. This scene doesn't make any sense. Why is she getting laser surgery now? But 
you know, I'm going with it. It's Final Destination. We got to get to some kind of scene like this. I agree with you both. I think her character's all over the place. But on the other hand, the visual of her bear, like she choking that bear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my wife was cracking up during that. Like she gradually, you know, she's hugging it and then just choking the hell out of that thing. It was funny. (laughs) Yeah. I'll tell you, I have a thing with eyes. And so when they put the clockwork orange thing on her. I love clockwork orange. And I've seen that movie hundreds of times and i never cringed like i did when they put that little device on her eye in this film admittedly on a clockwork orange it didn't bother me either because here this is like a lever that's prying it further oh. they've just improved the eye effects in the past 30 years love clockwork orange doesn't freak me out as much as this one did and the way they had the camera and the close-up of the eye on the monitor and you it would just Ugh. you know that was always on screen yes eyes and things happening to eyes is, is not no. it's painful oh. it gets you to squirm i lost coherence at certain points like <laughs> as part of the fake out a water cooler gurgles, right? And I am so freaked out by the eye, I could not come up with the term water cooler in my notes, so I just put water glug glug. <laughs> <laughs> There's the mystery of the post on Facebook. Glug glug. Glug glug, yes. Water glug glug, spill hit power to LASIK machine. <laughs> Now, I have a lot of problems with this eye doctor office. It's reminding me of the episode of The King of Queens where Carrie gets LASIK surgery because she had a coupon. <laughs> Buy one, get one free coupon. I love it. I don't know. I hear this stuff all the time. Maybe it's because I'm out in L.A. and you could get, you know, two for one breast enhancement coupons and the penny saver out here. I don't know if you guys have ever had LASIK surgery or know anyone. Like, this is where I'm starting to wander into Arnie's territory, the logistics, the reality of how this laser surgery is actually going. You mean, like, can you just walk in and get an appointment? Yeah, like, <laughs> don't they have to do, like, check it out first, consultation? Agreed. There are several things that are wrong here. Like, normally, you would not have a male doctor with a female patient and not have a third party present in case of any charges of sexual assault. And also, there is no way in hell that he should have primed the laser and then be like, I'll be right back and left her alone in the room for that length of time. True. I mean, this is as bad as the dentist in part two with the pigeons who hit the window. And he's like, how do they expect me to get any work done? The Final Destination series is not medically accurate, I guess. (laughs) But sure enough, the water causes the laser to fire. Five safeguards, but death's design will not be thwarted. And... Thank God the CGI looked fake because the laser just scarring her eye like that. Mm-hmm. I know my dad had LASIK, and he said it just takes like a fraction of a second. They just beam your eye with that laser. This is where I started getting curious. I'm like, man, would that laser actually start burning you and actually burn your hand? Like when she tries to cover herself. And I know it got super hot, like seven megawatt hot. Yeah, one point twenty one gigawatts hot. <laughs> but I mean, I don't think that. No, this isn't a ray gun for Christ's sake. I think if you put your hand up, it wouldn't do that. I don't know. Maybe listeners can tell us in the forums if I'm wrong, but. It still has an effect nonetheless, though. It does. And I'm just glad that the CGI looked a little obvious to me here because this could have really screwed with my head. You're not going to get LASIK surgery tomorrow? Just walk in (laughs) off the street and get it? You're talking to a man who will never have fucking contact lenses. Do not touch my goddamn eyeball. Okay. You sound very much like my wife because she was freaking (laughs) out. She won't get contact. She only wears glasses, hates anything touching her eye. So she can empathize with you, Arnie, during this scene. (laughs) I also love when they all walk in and she screams and she looks like, oh, hell, you know, and she has her hand burned too. She trips over a button from the bear that she was strangling that popped off, falls out the window, hits the ground. I'm like, okay, she's dead. And then the eye pops out. I'm loving this. 
and then the truck runs over the eye. But it wasn't the scarred eye. It was just the regular eye. I don't care. There's an eyeball popping out, rolling around on the screen, and then gets smashed. It took me back to Kill Bill Part 2, where she plucks the eyeball out and then steps on it, and you see the ooze coming out between her toes. Like, ugh. Loved it. Yeah, the squishing eyeball with the truck was just a wonderful, grotesque, way to end it i had been freaked out by this whole death if this horror movie wanted to get me to squirm and wanted to make me uncomfortable it succeeded the eyeball popping out was an eye-rolling moment in more ways than one i'm just not going with this movie's extremism because it's it's not trying to be funny if this movie was for i'd be going with it but it's trying to be so serious and scary and but arnie one and two like, they had those moments of black humor. Like, they had the scene with the teacher was equivalent to the scene with Isaac in the massage parlor. But for the most part, those didn't have a whole lot of comedy like 4. Maybe it's just because you watched 4. But I'm still going with this because this is on par with 1 and 2 for me, at least. During our discussion of 2, we talked about how 2 struck a balance that we all liked a lot and how we all recommended it solidly because it had elements of fun and everything. This movie, to me, is like 2. It has a nice balance to it. I'm finding humor with the characters, and I'm getting the deaths. I'm enjoying the deaths and the grotesques of it. So while the actors are playing it straight, except for David Kochner, he's playing a little bit of more comedy, the death scenes have the comedy in them that is fun for the audience. Very nice balance. I think it didn't strike the balance right. I think that the humor comes in in weird places, and... It gives the entire film an uneven tone. If the entire thing was more comedic, that eyeball popping out would have had me smiling and laughing. And in this, especially due to my discomfort, that would be great for me. But here, I was just like, nah, you took it one step too far. But I'm glad you guys are enjoying it. (laughs) That's what I said last time. (laughs) (laughs) So the next death we have, Nathan tests Tony Todd's theory out by dodging death and killing someone else. Did he mean to? Because I really didn't think he meant to. No, I don't think he meant to either. And I would have liked more ambiguity. He rather like pulled the guy and you didn't know if he's trying to save him or trying to pull him into the way of the crane that's falling down. I would have liked there to have been more mystery, whether he actually did attempt to murder the union boss here because they have a contentious relationship. Like you could see him wanting to take him out. Yeah. It's giving him the new college kid a hard time. Yeah. But he's yelling, get out of the way. And because the union boss is contentious and just argumentative, he doesn't get out of the way. But Nathan was trying to save him. Now, whether at the last minute he was like, fuck it (laughs) or not, you know, at the end, it's almost like Peter convinces Nathan, yeah, I did kill him. I'm safe. But I never bought that this was a murder. I agree. I think... Nathan said he did out of guilt, maybe, or because I actually got the impression that the character thought it was subconscious. I wish there would have been more evidence of that on the screen. I don't think there's enough evidence. I might be helping the actor here. Yes, I think so. (laughs) Yeah, but that's the impression I got because I got what Arnie got about Peter pretty much influencing the kid to confess. But right after that, when David Kechner gets the out of the blue death that we get in in a lot of these films, I was disappointed by that one. I actually put in my notes, is this supposed to be the surprise death like the bus or the airbag? Because it was telegraphed. Like, we saw the thing shaking with the wrench on it. We saw the wrench put on there earlier. The airbag thing, I guess that one had the pipe, but it's still a surprise. And the bus one was a total surprise. I think this was supposed to be that surprise death, but it doesn't work as well. This one's more equivalent to me to the Stifler death. Exactly. I also thought this was supposed to be as shocking as the bus. It didn't work for me. Either way, the Stifler or the bus, this one didn't have as much for me. And perhaps because I wanted to see this guy get it better than that. 
God, did we see the same movie? I liked this one. <laughs> I thought, oh, no. I, I was so into the conversation of whether or not Nathan had murdered Roy. Hey, this was a surprise to you, Arnie? Yeah, I just wasn't oh. expecting it. They have Dennis walk in and boom, I'm like, oh, I should have seen that coming. I didn't know who it was going after. And I was really more into the, in my own head, did Nathan mean to kill Roy? I think we did see the opposite movie. Yes. We did. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Perhaps on the IMAX, it changes your perspective of the film. <laughs> Maybe you guys saw it after LASIK, and I'm never going under that little uh, laser after this. <laughs> I just thought it was too cheap of a way to take out the character. I mean, because of the actor, because Kochner's playing him, it just felt like he should have got a, a better death. You know what else it called me back to is, I don't know if you guys saw this, it was posted on our Facebook page by one of our listeners. As a, I guess, trailer for Final Destination 4, the actors did a Saved by the Bell Final Destination parody. Oh, that was really actually the actors from... This was all the actors, which explained... Because I didn't realize it was the actors when I watched this. Neither did I. (laughs) Yeah. I thought it was honestly like a music video for some Justin Bieber-like singer, because the song's miserable in it. (laughs) And I'm like, is this a music video? And they're just loosely tying it in. And then David Kochner shows up. I'm like, how'd they get David Kochner for this terrible thing to be the Mr. Belding? I got a tip on it, too, and I watched it before I saw the movie, and I really enjoyed the Save by the Bell spoof of it, and I thought it was really kind of fun, but I agree with you. I didn't know who anybody was until I saw the movie. So, in that, David Kochner had a similar death, so I just, it, that's what it reminded me of also when this happened, is I'm like, oh, it's just like in that bad Save by the Bell video they made. Okay. But with Nathan skipped and Dennis dead, Peter's next in line. We haven't talked much about Peter. Miles Fisher. I honestly think this man gets jobs because his agent is like, he's like a young Tom Cruise. See, I thought he looked like a young Brandon Routh the whole time. I thought he looked like Tom Cruise, like a dead ringer. He doesn't just look like Tom Cruise. He sounds like Tom Cruise. He emotes like Tom Cruise. But it's not good Tom Cruise. It's like couch jumping Tom Cruise. (laughs) I don't know how much good Tom Cruise there really is. I mean, Magnolia? I don't know what else there is. So Hey, Top Gun. There's bad Tom Cruise, and then there's crazy sofa jumping Tom Cruise. (laughs) Yeah, he comes up like crazy sofa jumping Tom Cruise to me. I guess there's Tropic Thunder Tom Cruise as well. That was good. I'll give him that. Arnie, do you know that during superhero movie, he spoofed Tom Cruise in War of the Worlds. He actually plays like Tom Cruise, I think. You know what? I repressed most of that movie, so no. (laughs) Okay, fair fair enough. (laughs) But I was with you, Jacob, when he first came on, is I thought he looked a little like Brandon Routh, but the more he talked and everything, especially when he started going crazy... (laughs) (laughs) Then it was Tom Cruise. I guess it's been a long time since I've seen a Tom Cruise film. I've pushed Tom Cruise out of my mind. I really thought he and Nathan were going to be like, show me the light! (laughs) He runs like Tom Cruise, too. Well, I'm sure that's how he gets gigs. How could he not? But I wouldn't necessarily call it a credit to him that I'm getting this vibe off of him. But it weirded me out for half the scenes. And I can understand his motivation for wanting to kill someone. And I really like the scene where we think he's going to push the stranger in front of the bus. Yes. Mm-hmm. Good yes. scene. I really, I, I had suspense in that scene. Like, is he going to do it? And then they cut away and we don't know if he did do it. I thought it was just so well done there. And again, I'll say, I like the twist that now we're going to make these people murderers. I liked where this film was starting to go with this twist. So that that's, mm-hmm. I think that's why I was so into the scene, whether he's going to push this lady into the bus or not. 
I wish that they would have made him a likable character from the beginning so that we would actually see a character arc of somebody we liked become a murderer at the end and see if we could follow him on that journey. But really, the only character with quote-unquote depth is Sam. And even that, these are some poorly astron characters here. It's Final Destination, though. Aren't you used to this by now? I'm used to it. But if you have a character who's going from everyday average Joe to murderer... I would ask for more. Well, they did give him quite a few scenes of his character. Uh, Whether or not they were effective to all of us is up to debate, but they did give him plenty of time, the character, to mourn his girlfriend and have problems and show that kind of arc in the movie. Whether or not, again, it was executed well is up for discussion. All right, let's discuss it. I say it wasn't. Yeah, I think he was kind of forced. When he's sitting there cheering Candace on at her gymnastics, it was poor. I mean, again, I'm not expecting a lot of great acting when I go into these films, so I guess I was just going with it. No, he doesn't sell me on anything in this film. Right. But the script does try to give this character. Yeah, the script tries. But again, that's not why I'm here watching this. Arnie's old steak versus a burger argument, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Did you guys get into the scene in the kitchen when he's trying to kill the girl? I liked it. I like that now it's turned into, you know, this psycho murder slasher film. Like, it's weird to have death as the slasher because you never see him. There's no embodiment of him. I like the direction this went. It could have been executed better, but I enjoyed the scene in the restaurant and Peter trying to kill Molly and Sam trying to protect her. I enjoyed it. I did, too. I was having fun with it. The explanation for why Molly is very tenuous. But we know it's going to be Molly, right? Like, we know it's going to be a bad reason, but we know it has to be her. I didn't. Oh, come on, Arnie. I figured that out. I'm the one who didn't figure a damn thing out. (laughs) As soon as they said the murder twist, it had to be Molly because she's the only one that lived in the vision. I don't know. I'm a horrible, horrible human being, I guess. I mean, if I were writing the script and I was writing a guy who was so self-interested as to be psychopathic, I mean, I'd take him to an extreme and want the most life he could get, right? And, you know, that's not Molly. I'd be having him look at a playground or something. You know what I'm saying? Jeez. Wow. Wow, that's dark. (laughs) (laughs) But the reason he went to Molly again, the script tells us this more than anything else, is because he resents that, why is your life worth more than all of ours? What is it about you that you get to survive? So screw you, I'm taking that life back from you. And that's the script talking to me. The script says that. Yeah, yeah. But it it doesn't make sense to me. And if there'd been something that shows him going loony or having existential crises, then perhaps I could go with it. But between the actor playing the role and the words coming out of his mouth, I'm not really loving that it's Molly, but... I'm going with it and having fun in this kitchen scene because, I mean, as we saw earlier in the fake out when Sam's being all careful and you see all the dangers that can be in a kitchen and then we get to see them all being used and weaponized. Mm-hmm. I like the kitchen scene, too. I did like how not only did Peter try to save Molly, but Molly tried to save Peter. I thought someone was going to get the fry pit. Oh, yeah. I thought we were going to Jason goes to hell territory with that. Absolutely. And, of course, they have the fake out with the gun heating up on the grill. Yep. Is that going to... F- I know they've covered that on Mythbusters. I don't remember what the result was, but... It was confirmed that a gun can fire a bullet with lethal force if stored in a hot oven. Okay, I thought so. I just couldn't remember. <laughs> it, it was cool. covered on Mythbusters, though. I was thinking Mythbusters the whole time during that... Every time they showed that gun heating up on the grill there and getting hotter and hotter, which, of course, doesn't kill Peter, but that's what you're expecting. Right. But the person who actually gets shot by Peter is Agent Block. Deservedly so. He was a horrible FBI agent, and sure, his paranoia finally paid off when he tried to stop Peter, but I think he is overstepping his bounds. I didn't feel a lot of sympathy for him when he got shot in the back. 
I didn't feel sorry for him. Again, if I was Peter, I'd be like, ah, shit, he's old. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys talked about how they get all murderous and stuff like that. Then the character says, you saw me kill a federal agent, you have to die, whatever he says. I thought that was great, that he did become murderous a little bit. So it was kind of a thriller kind of thing they're going for a little bit. So then Sam uses one of those meat skewers sticks it through Peter, because of course you think the gun's going to go off, but no, you see the skewer come right at you, which was nice because I hadn't seen any good, effective eye-popping, no pun intended, 3D (laughs) for a while in this film. Like, you get that opening scene, and you get a few little moments here and there, so it was nice to have something stuck in my face once again in this film. And of course, now Sam is saved by, what is it, the commutative property, transitive property? I'm not sure. (laughs) Transitive property. There you go. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Yeah, they hope, again, I would have been going to Bloodsworth, like, okay, here's the roadmap that we've gone. Does this work out? (laughs) It's like Beetlejuice. Like, they need the book for the (laughs) soon-to-be-deceased. Because this thing, it feels like it's gone through Congress at this point, the rules of death's design. And, like, Bloodsworth had his little earmark, but maybe transitive works, I guess? They seem to think so. That's what they're hoping in the movie. I don't know, I might just try killing somebody else just to be sure. Yeah, would it stack up? (laughs) (laughs) Would it cancel each other out? Let me get to the plane. Did you at least get it when they got on the plane, Brock, and you saw that they were on a plane? Okay. When they got on the plane, and then when Alex was getting pulled off, it hit me like a ton of bricks, and it was really fun for me. Like, I think the movie might think that a lot more people will be like me, but it certainly gives you the opportunity, like it did for you two, to figure it out. When I did realize it, it was fun. It was a fun reveal. Here's a few things about this. First of all, you mentioned seeing Carter getting in the fight there. Was that footage from part one, or were those, like, lookalike actors? It's such a quick shot. I just couldn't get it. It was the same thing, actually. Stock footage. And the other thing is, if we hadn't gone through this whole series, I'm still not sure. Honestly, if the last time I saw Final Destination 1 was 01 or 02, this whole scene would have not meant shit to me. No, and my wife, who's watched all these movies with me, except that first one. And so she's like, oh, okay, so is that the setup for part six? Like, she had no idea, and I'm like, no, that's how the first one starts. Oh, that would have been great, wouldn't it? If that was how they ended it, was with the setup for the next (laughs) one? I would love that shit. That's a great idea. But if it wasn't for doing the series for now playing, I would have walked out of there going, what was going on on that plane and hitting the internet? Because I wouldn't have remembered that. I would have remembered maybe part one was a plane crash. That would be the extent of my memory. Mm -hmm. I think for the casual people, and ideally our entire audience has been watching along with us, so they'll all get the same experience maybe you two did. But maybe you're right. Maybe they're counting on people not remembering as much or not going back and reviewing it. Although I have no excuse because I just watched them all. <laughs> I gotta wonder, I know this plane crash was pre-9-11. I was wondering if Agent Block, I don't know how many federal marshals undercover we had on planes pre-9-11, but I was wondering, was he supposed to be on that plane? And that's why Sam ends up dying because he took over his life. Or the theory is just bullshit, Jacob. Well, w- until we get to the end. Well, here's the thing that kills me, no pun intended, is that <laughs> Molly dies, you know? It's not- At least I liked her death. I liked the cutting in half. That was fun. It was, and she's the one who was pulled out the window, which we called out in the very first podcast. We liked that somebody's hanging out the hole in the wall. I mean, Peter wouldn't have lived long if he would have shot Molly, because <laughs> apparently she was supposed to die. There you go. It wasn't her time on the bridge. It was her time on the plane. That she mm-hmm. wasn't planning on going to Paris with Sam with at the beginning of the film. That's what you get for supporting your boyfriend. Death. Well, is it that? 
Or is it like the car accident in 2 where death is still after Sam and he's just taking the rest of Flight 180? It seems like death is very inefficient. This is where you go back to the ending of The Final Destination, Part 4. Death is fucking with you. He's the kitty playing with the mouse, tossing you around, deciding when he's going to kill you. That's how I ended up taking this because I had just seen 4 the previous week for the podcast. Hmm. Although I love the last death of this movie. Yes, the punchline ending. Like, okay, you could say this didn't have all the black comedy of the ones you like the most. But here we go. You got to love this ending. I love it for its meta reason, too, because the black guy is the last one to die. Yes. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. It's like the whole scream thing there. I'm like, Nathan's the one who walks away a lot. Oh, no, he doesn't. But at least the black guy was the last one to die this time. Right. Did you guys, have you guys seen Donnie Darko? Because that's all I could think of was Donnie Darko when the airplane piece falls through and kills him. I got that he was going to die because they linger on that landing gear falling away. I'm like, oh, they're going back to Nathan. And I love that. Well, we found that Roy actually had a brain aneurysm and he was going to die any day anyways. And then I'm like, yes, I know what's coming. And here it comes. Wow, I did not catch that it was going to be the landing gear. I just... Oh, they linger on it already. They linger on it as it falls away from the rest of the explosion. I missed it. But you know, guys, if I was enjoying but not totally sold on the movie thus far, the end credits just... It was my favorite part of the movie were the end credits, and not just because it was over, but because (laughs) they, like, did the Freddy's Dead, where they showed deaths from all five movies and all these great scenes, to... ACDC, one of my all-time favorite bands, playing If You Want Blood, You Got It. And then they added, like, 3D effects of blood splurting everywhere. I enjoyed it, too. I don't think it's the best part of the film, but I enjoyed these ending credits. It took me back to, and once again, I apologize, everyone. It took me back to why I liked 4 so much. I'm not an ACDC fan, but I can appreciate their music when it's set to the right kind of movie. I like the music. I like the blood. I liked how they recapped a lot of the deaths from Part 4, some of the most fun deaths for me so yeah i'm right there with you i I enjoyed this ending sequence it to me it was like a goodbye to the fans not only because the end of the movie but like this is the last one with this kind of montage and if it is the last one it's a great way to go out because i too enjoy sitting there watching some of the deaths and the way it was cut together the way it wasn't just all the ones from one all the ones from two they really put some time into it and i thought the music was great too so yeah bravo it was lots of fun to watch if it wasn't the last one, it's just odd. I mean, when they did it for Freddy's Dead, it made perfect sense. But here, they're like going into this thinking, and next we'll do six and seven. But yeah, this is like a great celebration of the Final Destination series. So, Jacob, Arnie, do you recommend Final Destination 5? Jacob. A lot of what Arnie said, I agree with. This movie did have a darker tone. And when the franchise attempted that in part three, I hated it. It didn't work. And I think for the most part, this film retains that darker tone. There are its moments of black comedy or just comedy in it. But for me, this is a darker tone that worked for whatever reason, because it had those moments of lightheartedness, like with Isaac dying in the massage parlor. I love the deaths in this, how gruesome they were, the eyeballs popping out, the twisted spines in the gym. I go to a final destination at this point, now that I've watched them all, I had no idea what I was getting into when I stepped into this retrospective. But what I want are fun, 
deaths that get a reaction out of me and these deaths got a reaction out of me i was twisting in my seat and covering my eyes and you know just peeking out between my fingers at the screen during a lot of the the more gruesome moments and that's what i want in this kind of film and the other thing that helped is you know with one that final climax just really bored me here i liked peter going out and trying to murder molly and you had this suspenseful chase scene yeah it's a darker tone than four and two which were my two favorites but it's a darker tone that works for me this time. I'm not going to say they got the balance right because I like the dark comedy, but if they're going to go with this more serious tone, they got the balance for that type of film right with Destination 5. Recommended. Arnie? Yes, I recommend this film. It's certainly not my favorite of the series, but I was entertained. And, you know, it's funny because it kind of bookends for me. I feel about this film a lot like I feel about part one. It's got some big holes in it not that well acted not that well written it's not that well directed but it was entertaining and i had a good time and i really just had some fun while watching it all the things i've complained about in this podcast all the nitpicks and things didn't detract from my enjoyment of it and just when i was watching the movie and it was on the screen i was having fun with it and i liked the fake outs and i liked what they were doing is it exceptional by no means and again not the best of the series but a good note to end on and yeah recommend i'm recommending it too i did think it had a nice balance between serious and fun i was into the deaths i also had very many instances of being able to put myself in the shoes of the characters of how creeped out i am but what the situation was going on like they really found things that personally would affect me and that really got me more involved in the film as well. From the bridge to the laser to the needles. And it was a nice way to connect to me personally. Overall, yeah, I did like the acting. But I overall, I, I went with the film. I was able to have a good time. I think this is a great way to end the series. And maybe they will. Maybe they think that way too. Who knows? But I'm very happy with this one. So yes, I give it a recommend. And I hope you all get a chance to see it and enjoy it. I don't know. Looking back on this whole series... I'm thinking that David Ellis, Snakes on a Plane's David Ellis, uh, Shark Knight 3D's David Ellis, is the one who really brought Final Destination home for me. And I don't know whether it's like the Star Trek films where the even ones are the really good ones for Final Destination, or if it's just the David R. Ellis ones are the really good ones for Final Destination. But if they make a six, I'm going to say get David R. Ellis back and... Bring it back to that kind of tone. I think while four was a lot of fun, two may have struck the balance between humor and seriousness right. And I would have liked more of that balance in this one. But for goodness sake, give us a twist. I get the formula. I want to see something done with it. Reveal Tony Todd as death. Do something. We're ready for that. We're six films. If you do a six one, we're six into it. You need to do something with the mythology. Yeah, for me, I think overall, I was satisfied with the series. I didn't recommend two of them, but the ones I liked, I liked a lot. I, I like the premise of this whole series. I like the idea of it. I think they can go on for much longer if they really wanted to. Jacob, I understand what you're saying about the mythology. I wouldn't mind if they tried something like that, but I kind of like that you can watch one of these movies and not necessarily have to have seen the other ones. They keep alluding to them, but they're kind of their own thing. And this one, I think, was fun. I had not as much fun, but I had the same kind of fun I had with two in this one. I can't rank them. I don't th- I don't really think I have a rank in my head right now. I don't really want to try, but, you know, I like the first two and this one. So that kind of balanced them. In the 3D, too, I thought worked in some parts, but I didn't really need it the whole time. But when they did use it effectively, it was quite effective. But if they next time they choose not to do 3D, which I can't imagine why they wouldn't, it's so much extra money, I don't need it. So I wouldn't mind that. 
But overall, I was very happy with this series. I'm really glad I got a chance to watch it. And I certainly will probably watch one of these again sometime. And you know, I am really impressed with how well the series held together because, Jacob, you earlier mentioned that this is a slasher series without a slasher. The slasher is death itself, and death being either an entity, it's not really personified here, but it's given motive and agendas. And I think that seems to be something that I would have a hard time conceptualizing, but they've executed it really well. I mean, it's a film where the enemy is truly unbeatable because it's not corporeal. It's not a thing or a person. It just is. And Brock, you said you couldn't rank them. I'll do it. Four, two, five, one, three. If anyone's curious, there you go. Cool. I can't disagree with four, two, five, one, three. I can. <laughs> because I got four um, at the beginning there. <laughs> yeah, four at the beginning. I, four was my least favorite. But you know what? We have finished the final, final destination film. And while I do recommend it, it wasn't all that in a bag of chips. So, Brock, tonight, we're going to try again in 3D again for a frightening night. Indeed. Our next episode of Now Playing will be the remake of Fright Night. I'm looking forward to seeing the remake because the cast is quite good, and ideally they're doing something good with it. So we'll see. Well, come back to our Totally Free Tuesdays and hear our Fright Night podcast. Again, this is our last bonus Free Friday series. This was a thank you as a result of all the donations we had in the spring when we were doing our Jaws and Poltergeist series. And coming up, if you have really enjoyed getting now playing Double Dosed each week, there's going to be another donation series starting this fall where we will be looking at Exorcist. That's Brock Stewart and I. And then The Thing, which is Jacob Stewart and I. So that's coming in just a few weeks. Keep listening to Now Playing Podcast or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and the forums to find out all the details of how to get those podcasts. Until next time, we'll see you soon. Your friend's departure shows that death has a new design for all of you. You have to figure out how and when it's coming back at you. But remember, the risk of cheating the plan, of disrespecting the design, could incite a fury that could terrorize even the Grimmaker. And you don't even want to fuck with that Mac Daddy. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing. Well, that went well. Remember to come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another Final Destination film. I was meant to see this movie. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other films, such as Saw, Friday the 13th, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Terminator, Star Trek, and many more, as well as individual movie reviews such as Man-Thing, Inception, and The Human Centipede. This is the beginning of the end. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss our movie reviews with other listeners. Hey, don't knock my fan base. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post many movie reviews. Links to our social media pages are at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Don't worry. Once the others are dead, it'll come back for you. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. 
Fuck, I saved him! You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. The link to our Cafe Press store is available on our homepage. You're dead! You're dead! And you're taking me with you! Now Playing's Final Destination series is edited by Samuel, Tim, Brock, and Arnie. Let's go take a shit. Now Playing is not affiliated with New Line Cinema. The Final Destination series is the property of New Line Cinema and no infringement is intended. That is some spooky psycho babble. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. Now playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2011, all rights reserved. I'll see you soon. So I guess we should start off with a plot summary and get right rolling. Do we need one? Really? Yeah, I don't know. Just <laughs> it's a tradition fine. around here. Let's start with the plot summary, boys. Well, it's a Crystal Lake adjacent slaughtering the teenager. <laughs> Wait, wrong. But and about they, the same amount of. And they fall friends. asleep, and they have these bad dreams. Now you said you didn't like the acting of Nicholas Diagosto, who plays Sam. Yeah. I'm guessing neither of you have ever seen any of his other work. Do any of these people besides David Kochner have other work? I have seen some of his work. He was on Heroes. Oh, who was he on Heroes? He was Claire's boyfriend. Oh, that's right. That was him. Yeah, I didn't mind him there. I didn't recognize him. I'm going to out myself and embarrass myself since you did, Brock. Rom-com coming up? Um, <laughs> I saw him in this Bring It On ripoff called Fired Up. F you, yes. <laughs> Never saw it. He wasn't good in that either. Was I guess that's another retrospective. I wouldn't expect anyone to be good in that. That'd be the super bonus for our Bring It On cheerleading retrospective series, Jacob. I wouldn't mind doing Bring It On, just Fired Up. Um, I agree. You know, I like Bring It On I'll watch the female cheerleaders, just not the male. <laughs> there were a lot of female cheerleaders in Fired Up. Okay, maybe it would work on a certain level. And then. plenty of titty shots. Okay. Well, oh, uh, I'm open well, up maybe to it now. <laughs> Netflix Q open now. <laughs> You're on the ball with this one, Arnie. This is why they pay me no bucks. <laughs> and I was really feeling Melrose Place vibes coming off of it. You know how first season Melrose Place when nobody could act and everybody had their dreams and everybody got along. I think you're the only one that knows that on this podcast, Arnie. I didn't want to call it out, but yeah, dude, you have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> All right, I will <laughs> But I get the sentiment. I get what you're getting at. Go on. All right, I'll just... I, was, I thought Jacob brought that up in that, in, that, in that episode, and so later in the movie, I thought of you, Jacob. I'm like, oh, Jacob must be happy about this. Yeah, I always like when films agree with me. <laughs> I always like my opinion to be validated. <laughs> I'm sure you do. She shows up to the company retreat 
in like this van and dressed like a slutty punk chick. Not complaining. Not complaining. <laughs> I'm just saying it's not exactly the work attire I would choose to show up at work in. Man, that's not. why she has a job. I don't want you wearing that outfit, Arnie. <laughs> I'll tell you, I I, I I have a thing with eyes. Arnie's old steak versus a burger argument, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we should put that on a plaque with, that, with my uh, bald as the new black. I can't even remember. How does Sam kill Peter? <laughs>